Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, Glory family, thank you for letting me take time and, and changing up that a bit. This morning, we are in actually week two of a, a series, and as you can tell, we don't normally share videos before uh, worship or be- in the middle before I speak from worship, but here we go. There was a video, and you'll actually see one every single week of a testimony, a story, not only just the story of when maybe a glory family member came to faith, but maybe it's just a story where God met them. Like this, like you saw today, there have been so many times when God has asked me to be restful, and I did not, to lean on Him, and I did not. So thank you, Ms. DeVita, if you're watching this later, for sharing, for being vulnerable and open with us. Uh, This morning, we are in week two, and as you can tell by the name, Testify, it's all about literally sharing that which God has given us, hope sharing the story of, of, of hope, the good news of the gospel, and being actually actively a part of what God is doing in our city. Not just like, oh, it would be nice to, but to actually do it. Not, it would be nice to see like a change in my neighborhood, or it would be nice to see a change in my job, but to actually actively be a part of it. You like that? Actually actively be a part of it. That's a mouthful. But this is um, where I am excited to dive in a little bit. If you were with us last week, it was a, uh, a great kickstart for me. I don't know about you, but I got really convicted while I was prepping the message, so hopefully the Lord spoke during the message. Um, but if you missed it, you can always listen to the podcast. Uh, join in for that Testify Week 1, because we, though, are going to hit on it, we're going to go from it this morning, all right? I, if you were with me, I shared sort of the, the story in Revelation 12, where there's a strange thing going on, and then we see the enemy accusing, accusing the, the, the followers of Jesus, and there's a scripture that maybe you've, you've heard before that says that they overcame every accusation by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, his, of their testimony. And so this morning, we're actually going to start... <laughs> We're going to start right where we ended last week, Uh, right where we, well, ended, began, all of the above. We're going to start with this verse uh, that we, uh, we went in, but they overcome, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And the reason I want to start right here again is um, I was in small group this past week and a member of our small group actually said where I was going this week. And I was like, spoiler, uh, I didn't tell her that she did, but she did. She goes, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony when we do it together. And I was like, oh, you're not supposed to say that word yet, together. But honestly, we have this idea of overcoming the enemy as if it's like me against the enemy alone. But we forget that this word together is so much more part of the faith than we like to put. In fact, that passage, like the, they will over, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. There's only two things that are singular, two words in the Greek that are singularized. It's the word lamb and the word him, meaning the enemy. 
Those are the only two singular words. Everything else, every action verb, it's not that they are individually overcoming by their individual testimonies. It's they collectively overcame him, singular, by the blood of the lamb, singular, and the word of their, plural, testimonies. That, in fact, their story always led them back to each other. And this is where we're going to get this morning because if you remember last week, the we will overcome, how many of you always get overcome by fear? I'm there sometimes. How many of you, like, can't sleep at night sometimes from stress? How many of you, like, get overcome by doubt or worry or anxiety or still the fears and the sins that once plagued you, they still are there? You see, we struggle to overcome And I don't think it's because the blood of the lamb hasn't done its job. (laughs) It's because we struggle with the word of our testimony, right? And so we talked about that last week, our testimony, and I individualized it that maybe, maybe we're struggling to word it, or we got a few things that we don't want the blood of Jesus to cleanse. We've talked about that. But this week, it's the hour, the together, that they were unified in their story, and that's why the enemy fleed. That when two or more are gathered, God is present and the enemy's like, I'm done. I'm out. That there, when we stand, the gates of hell fall. Right? There's so much power when we do this together. You see, the good news of Jesus is far more a part, a part of that word together than we think, than I used to think. Here's a story. When I grew up, <laughs> I'm sure I was told the story of the gospel in a correct way, but for some reason, my mind only gravitated on what Greg needed to hear, wanted to hear in the moment. We individualize the gospel, right? I mean, think about it. I, I came to know Jesus when I was in fifth grade, and what I needed was a God who saw me, right? We all need that. I was the one that Jesus found, It was this individual beautiful thing, but there's more about the story that we overlook. And when I was in college, I was in a class, and I went to a Bible college, so this will make sense, but my class was called Discipleship and Evangelism. Yeah, I got to take that class. A whole class, the whole semester, about discipleship and evangelism. And I was like, oh, I love this. I'm I'm ready for it. And the professor uh, would later become my mentor and one of my closest friends. He's actually an active supporter, he and his family, of this church. So uh, they're powerful. They're awesome people. But 10 years ago, uh, more than that, 10 plus years ago, I stepped foot in this class for the first time, and he had a question for us. (laughs) And I wasn't prepared for this, but he wanted to know. He gave us all little sheets of paper. And in three sentences, Max, he wanted us to write down the story of the gospel of Jesus in three sentences or less. And I was like, easy. Have you read John 3.16? And so, like, I I did it. I wrote it down. And as people were, were reading out their things, I kept getting more and more confident because theirs was a lot like mine right? There's a lot of my, and I'm like, I'm ready for this. I wasn't the last one at all, but I was in the middle and I was like, all right, you see God incarnate. And I put that word came, he came in the flesh. Jesus was hundred percent God and hundred percent man. I was just throwing out all this kind of stuff. And he came to die on a cross, living a sinful or a sinless life so that the sinful man could have everlasting life in him. And he came for the world so that we could be saved. And that's what I said, right? John 3, 16. Said it 
felt so confident. Everyone went. And he sat down, and I remember it, it wasn't word for word, but he sat down and said, everything that you guys said was true. But when it comes to the story of the gospel, that was only half of the truth. And I was like, and if you know anything about me, if you know anything about me at all, I'm like, no, those are fighting words. See, I didn't know you. You don't know me. I know the gospel, though. And I'm like, so if you know, like, I used to be a little arrogant. And so here I am, freshman Greg. No, no, no. I know the gospel of Jesus. And he bled. Have you read three, John 3.16? I quoted that in my own words. Why is it not enough? Well, you guys are half true. You're half true, is what he told us. And I was like, I don't, I don't think you're right. I don't think you're right. But what he shared and what I learned over, he, every one of us, he said, we're missing a key component of the gospel. And what happens when we miss a key component of the gospel is we actually lead people, though they may discover who Jesus really is. We lead people into a very small version of the big picture. And I lowered in necessity a core part of Jesus' message. And I remember sitting there, and I was like, these are fighting words. I said everything correctly. And I don't know what gospel he thinks he knows, but I was right. And I learned from the, the following few weeks that I, in my humanity, elevated what I wanted, what made me feel really good. And I, and I lowered in necessity the main reason why Jesus stepped foot. Some of you are like, okay, well, what is it? We'll get to it. Don't you worry. We'll get to it. But I believed something that day. I learned that when I believe a half-truth, and some of you need to follow me with this, when I believe a half-truth, I'm quickly formed into forming half-beliefs on a lot of things. Because that half-truth touches a lot of other beliefs. And when I believe a half-belief, it then leads me to half-obedience. And so this fueled so much of my life, and I did not realize it. Freshman Greg, frustrated that I was called out, I needed to learn that I had some half-obedience. Now, was I saved? Yes. Did I believe things wrong? Yes. Can you do both? Yes. But there was something I needed to learn. And so some of you are like, well, what is the punchline? We'll get there. I promise. I promise. But before we get there, I want to show you the slyest lure of the enemy when it comes to the gospel. The slyest lure of the enemy, so much so that you don't even think it has to do anything with the gospel. But it's the slyest lure of the enemy that made me say the gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever follows him will have everlasting life. And that's what I thought the gospel core message was. Jesus said that to Nicodemus, but he said a whole lot of other things, a whole lot of times to a whole lot of other people about what the core message is. And so here we go. Are you ready? But before we can get in, here's the slyest, the slyest little lure that our hearts have become conditioned to not trust the church. And you're like, how is this a part of it? How is this a part of it? Why are we, why are we, did you know that your heart has become conditioned to not trust the church? And not just like the church organizationally, though we all don't want to trust organizations. 
Organizations are backed up by people, which we don't trust. Organizations are filled with leaders that we struggle to trust. And something happens when we do not trust the church. It actually damages the gospel. It actually hurts your ability to testify. Because you don't testify to a Jesus that is void of his church. All right, we'll get into this. Because I say all this because Mark chapter 1 reads, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee and he began proclaiming the good news of God. You want to know what the good news is? Are you ready? The good news is this. The next verse says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent then and believe in the good news. What's the good news, Jesus? That you came and died for me to be saved? The good news is that the kingdom of God is near. In fact, Matthew, you don't believe me yet? He left Nazareth, Matthew 4 says, and made his home in Capernaum by the sea. And from that time on, Jesus began to proclaim the good news. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven. When Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and later the 72 disciples, two by two, he tells them to go in every town and tell them what? The kingdom of God is near. The gospel Though we get benefited by him dying, that's a, that's a part of the gospel. He, he died to defeat death. He died to defeat sin. But it was not so that the individual may have eternal life. It was so that his kingdom could be near. It's about his kingdom. And you're like, potato, potato, Greg. Why does, why does that, like, that doesn't... No, the message was that there was an outcast, a sinner. And I don't know if you know much about sin. I mean, I think we know a lot about it. But the number one thing that sin likes to do is isolate. The sheep that was lost was one. And there's interesting, sin likes to isolate. And we have this, the enemy loves it, this per, this idea of the gospel as Jesus came and found me, And then he and I walk around everywhere together. Just he and I. Because I was found, and it's just me and him. The gospel is about the lost sheep being found and then brought back to the 99 to be 100. And guess what? Jesus then goes out for the lost, which you're not anymore. So the gospel is not about Jesus walking with you alone. It's about him redeeming for the kingdom, and you're a part of it. And this is really, this is not potato, potato, because the kingdom is the core message of the gospel, the kingdom. It was this depicted image of Adam. Think of Adam, naked, (laughs) clothed with, I know, sorry, clothed with, (laughs) he was clothed, all right? He was given some, some things to cover up with. But picture him. He now feels like he cannot be himself with the very person God gave him to be with, Eve. Isolated, lonely, believing these lies about now his body and her body, hiding, and he has to cover up with something God gave him. He's so alone. The story of the gospel is that Jesus came that Adam and Eve could be brought back into his kingdom in unity. 
It's not about saving you from your sins. It's about his kingdom that you were brought into, that you were brought into. In fact, the sheep thing, if you want to Google the worst thing for a sheep, guess what it is? To be alone. The worst thing for a sheep is to actually travel alone with the shepherd. No, even if the sheep is with the shepherd, it cannot be like healthy until it's brought back to its herd. And so if you Google, like if you want to start like owning sheep, everyone tells you, like just word of the wise, all right? Everyone tells you to buy three because one on its own will suffer stress and anxiety. Your sheep will become depressed and it will gain health issues. You can never be for the sheep what the herd is to be for the sheep. And this is what, like, though you were saved, God has now, he is supposed to be what the herd is supposed to be. Because that's where the fullness of God is, the body of Christ, he who fills all things in all ways. But we've individualized it and broken it up, and it has been hurtful. And some of you are like, potato, potato, Greg, but we don't realize how much our untrust of the kingdom has actually gone. We don't trust people. We don't trust people. In fact, I'm going to play a little game. I used to do this a lot in youth ministry, all right? I used to do this a lot. I'm going to encourage all of you, if you have a cell phone, to get your cell phone out. My, me too. Whoa. I used, this was honestly one of my favorite things to do uh, when I was a youth pastor, I'm about to put up my phone number. Whoa. Here it is. You want to put it up so they can get ready? All right. This is also what I would tell students, so I shouldn't have to tell you because obviously you're not students, but I told them, if you use my phone number for bad things, I will block you. And then when an emergency happens, I'm not there for you. So be smart. That's what I literally would tell students. So if you use my phone number bad ways, you're getting blocked. And then when someone struggles, Pastor Greg's not going to know. Anyways, I don't have to tell you that because you're adults. What I'm about to do, if you pull up a text message, put that number in, I'm about to ask you a question. And I want you to text your gut reaction to it. I want you to text your gut reaction, Okay. It's one of my favorite things to do because people, uh, they won't know that you said it. Obviously, I will, but they won't. And so it's funny the amount of uh, real, like, bluntness that comes through texts. Now, I also used to tell students that if you send me something like, I like Shirley Temples, like, I'm not going to read it, all right? So only send me good things, all right? Only send me the answer to this. Now, I want your gut reaction. Here it is. What is the first thing you feel when a pastor challenges you to invite three people to church? Let me personify this while you think of your answer. Hey, guys, we're going to start a new thing. 
we're going to start a whole month where we're going to be an inviting culture and we're going to jumpstart this. So I'm going to challenge you. There are three people in your life that you come across all the time. Invite them. Inv- get them in here. Do you see three chairs all around you that are empty? I do. Do you see a lot of chairs in the back? What is your gut reaction? Let them throw through. That he cares about numbers. Woo! Let's keep going. What is your gut reaction? Awkwardness. Do I have to? It's a chore. Why aren't we going to just be the church to them? Does he care about numbers? I'll send them a text, but I know they'll say no. Oh gosh, I don't know. Everyone I know goes here. It's impossible. Conviction, because I know that I should be doing it. Eh, he seems too pushy. And eh, I don't want this place to get bigger. I'm afraid to ask. I think about the people that I would invite, but I'm too scared on how they will approach it. I'm trying to, woo, y'all, go, y'all are going crazy. Only three? Hey, all right, five. Come on. I think about inviting my friends who already know Jesus only. I'm afraid to ask. I have and they haven't come. It's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's a pyramid scheme. Who are the individuals that I need the invite to? If I wasn't here, would they feel cared or seen by others? Oh, that's... They just want more people. He doesn't care about me. He cares about the number. You liking these? Some of you got it. So... I just want you to say, though some of those things were good, do you start seeing that we all have this propensity to not like it when things get a little big or when we push for growth on an organizational level? It's because we've seen it poorly done, right? We've seen the bad version of a stage being really high, not like literally, but really high the worship team being praised more than the Savior. We've seen seen pastors who've been on a pedestal and then fall. We've grown to not trust people. So when I say, get people here, some of you are like, you're being too pushy. Because that's a push on the untrust we actually have. Now, I I know that that was just a very simple one. Here's what I also say. I'm putting this down, so I'm not reading anymore. Some people like to just keep going. (laughs) It's down. I'm not reading anymore. But I get it, because our modern world has deemed church like a club. And we don't like sometimes when things grow. Because sometimes when things grow, they become less, what? Genuine. We feel they get less vulnerable. We feel it just goes crazy, but can I just like challenge you? If a local church isn't growing, then the people in that church are not advancing the gospel. And some of you are like pushing back, no, I'm advancing the gospel with my neighbors. I'm telling them about Jesus. Some of you are like, I'm advancing the gospel in my workplace. I'm telling them about Jesus. Why do they have to go to a church? Why do they, why do they have to go to church? This is what I don't like about organized religion because it's always about church. Church attendance, 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 attendance. No, listen. After they meet Jesus, where do you send them next? 
What are they supposed to do? How are they to be discipled? How are they to know how to worship? How are they to know that they have gifts? Some of you are like, I want to just let people know about Jesus before I invite them to a church. And we say no to them already. We we say no for them. We expect them to love Jesus first and then we'll invite them to church. But that's honestly a cop-out because we're uncomfortable bringing it up anyways. Because let's be honest, those of you who are like, I'd rather them know Jesus, have you told them about Jesus yet? No. You see, this has damaged our ability to testify because we are either embarrassed of the church we take the church for granted. We, un, uh, we untrust the church, distrust it. And so then, though we preach Jesus, what happens after everlasting life? I told the huddle this, that everlasting life, and I need you to listen, this is huge. Everlasting life is very different than abundant life. Can I, I'm going to say that again because everlasting life, that which you were given when asking Jesus in your heart is very different than abundant life. Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life to the fullest, abundant life. People can have everlasting life and not abundant life. I mean, everlasting life is hard. Anyone? My mom died when I was living in everlasting life. Like, I had the worst sin addictions of my life when I was living in everlasting life. I felt the most alone when I was in everlasting life. I struggled with uh, things that were claiming my identity when I was in everlasting life. But guess how I was ushered in to abundant life when I was with the kingdom. It was with the kingdom that I learned my purpose. It was with the kingdom that I had gifts It was with the kingdom that I learned that I'm not alone. It was with the kingdom that I got the tools to fight sin. It was with the kingdom that people fought for me. It was with the kingdom that I realized that God provides. It was with the kingdom that this happened. And sometimes we segment it so much that though you share Jesus with someone, the hope sort of ends after everlasting life. We think that that's good enough. And to an extent, it is good that they're saved. But he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're going to have to know the way of the kingdom. Did you know, uh, (laughs) when you get into America, some of you have done this, or a family that has done this, how much education do you have to do in order to take the test in order to become a citizen? A lot, right? Have you ever heard or seen people experience trying to get a card into America? It's hard. You have to learn random things that the average American doesn't even know about America in order to get a card. You have to learn the economy of this kingdom in order to live as a citizen, the government says. Did you know that there's an economy of the heavenly kingdom? that we isolate people out of if we divorce Jesus from his church? How are they to know how people are healed? 
Scripture says people are healed when we confess our sins with one another, when we pray for one another. How are people to know how you can experience comfort? Did you know comfort comes from the church? You pray for Jesus to comfort you, and the church is what holds you. They're the ones that hold you. You pray for Jesus to provide for you, and then you get a check written by Jesus? No, from the church, the kingdom. Sometimes we don't realize that the hands and feet of Jesus are the very people that we don't trust. And it hurts us sharing the gospel. It really does. And so when I get into this, as we uh, dive into now Scripture to end this off, this is the same problem that was happening in the, in the church of Rome. The same problem. Do you want to know something beautiful before I read this? Every time Jesus says the word kingdom, it's not always written like this, but every time Jesus says the word kingdom, it's feminine. It's like he's saying she's near. Like, I don't know about you, but that breaks me up. Like, it's like my bride is near. Repent because she's near. Like, how hungry is he to have his kingdom near, his bride near? We have individualized it so much. You're not the one anymore. You're the bride who's near. And so it's way more than us. And so this is what Rome was dealing with. The, the house of God was for the Jews. And they were really struggling for anyone else to be a part of it. They're really struggling. And so Paul writes this in Romans 15. If you want to know the economy of the kingdom, Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15 have a list of it. And you will realize if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, he will always bring you to people. Not just the lost, but you will get the lost and you will bring them to the 99. Because it's about the people. It says, pray for those love, live in unity. All of these things are happening in Romans 12, 13, 14. And then 15, he writes this, hey guys, in verse 7, I want you to welcome one another just as Christ Jesus has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. Hey, in other words, what he's saying is I need you to invite people in. Invite people in. The Gentiles, invite them in. And why do I say the Gentiles now? Because now he gets into the whole thing. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the Jews, the circumcised, in order to fulfill the truth of God, which said that he would come for the Jews. But, you like the and in in verse 9? And in order that the Gentiles might be able to glorify God too. The picture is, is the kingdom being bigger. And so invite people in. And then it has this beautiful progression. Some of you, you've been so frustrated with how many times a church has talked about the invitation that you've hurt your ability to even do any type of testifying. You become like embarrassed about the church you go to. But the hope that you have in this place, now the church is not just on Sunday mornings, right? Right? But what you experience here is so powerful to be seen by the lost. You bring someone in who doesn't know Jesus, they're like, there's crazy people singing with their hands up. 
the other Sunday, they were, people were like dancing. But also what they see is people holding each other when they're crying. That's not normal. Also what they see is people who are very different loving on one another. They don't see that when you alone talk to them about Jesus. They see it when they come into the body. When they're welcomed in. That's the purpose. Some of you, you well, like home churches are a thing. But if a church has closed doors, then they're not advancing the kingdom. A small group, trust me, our small group leaders do not want to be a church because then they got to be pastors. And then pastors are difficult because there has to be a hierarchy. And then like there has to be a leadership. There has to be a gifting. Our small group leaders are like, no, my job is to multiply. Pastor's job is to grow and equip. My job is to invite people in and then multiply this place. Our job as a church is growth, equipping, advancing the kingdom. There's a different mission. And so Paul writes this. He starts quoting, and there's this beautiful progression. He quotes a psalm, and he says, As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and praise your name among the Gentiles. And it says, and again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now, we can zoom quickly through that, but the beauty of that is he's saying, Hey, when I'm with the sinners, (laughs) I'm rejoicing in Jesus' name. They know who I praise. This is what you want to, to do all the time. I want people to know that I follow Jesus. We'll start praising, confessing him among them, letting them know who you are, where you are, what he's done, testify, but the story's not done. Then you, you say, hey, rejoice, O Gentile. Rejoice, Kristen, from the job with me with his people. Meaning it's not just me like sharing the gospel with Kristen at my workplace, but now it's the picture of this is, hey, Kristen, come to church with me, please. Rejoice with the people. And then it keeps going, this progression. And then it says, hey, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. Because they won't know how to praise unless they see it. Does this make sense? Why is church necessary? Because the church is where you get the idea of worship, which is what we are called to do. They'll see the praise, and then they get to be a part of it. And the last thing it says, and then the root of Jesse shall come, and he quotes Isaiah, and the one who rises to rule the Gentiles will come, and in him they will hope. See, that progression can happen in any way, But we like the Gentiles to hope in Jesus, void of the church. Sometimes. Think about it. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Ear. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? You want to. You want them to hope. But Paul literally says, bring them in that they can see, that they start getting the questions, and then this relationship is formed. Some of you are like, no, I just want a relationship with them outside of this. I want them to get to know me. I want them to see me. But they're not going to see Jesus in you until they see you interact with Jesus' people. 
they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. I'm only part of the story. I can love my neighbor, but until my neighbor starts seeing how I love my wife, how I love my friends, how I operate with people, how the kingdom of God comes around me, that's when they start seeing this is real. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. And then I just got this last thing, and we're going we're gonna to call it done. I will not, as a man, I will not welcome people into what I do not trust myself. And so some of you have church wounds. Uh-oh. Some of you have church wounds, and very honestly, the point of this place is not you anymore. And the reason you're wounded is because a pastor tried to say that and you still wanted it to be about you sometimes. Sometimes we don't carry one another's burdens and so the burden ends up being vomited on other people and it hurts and so that's why you don't trust people anymore. I get it. But we have to do better. We have to be the church, the kingdom. So we got to trust people, the kingdom. And it actually like changes then what we do with that message. Can you say, hey, Kristen from the office, the kingdom of God is near. Now, that's weird. I don't know if I would say that to my neighbor. But I would say, you've got to visit my church and it's not just because it's my church. It's not just because I'm the pastor. You could play this too. It, the people there love. I've never experienced so much community like I have there. They struggle. They will cry. They will be honest. There's been marriages that have been healed. There's been things that have happened. You've got to be a part of it. Just see it. Even if you doubt Jesus, just come be with us, all right? Just, just see it. Come. That's very different than, hey, I got to go to a church on Sundays. It's called glory. Wait, do you want to be? Like, maybe? Very different. No, rejoice, O Gentiles, with God's people. Come with me. It's different. So, God, I just pray right now that as we end this, give us an idea, a, a picture of your church that we haven't seen before. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.